It's time for a brand new GM show here on the Penguins Radio Network. This show, of course, presented by S&T Bank. I am Josh Getzoff, and tonight, great to be joined by Penguins President of Hockey Operations, Brian Burke. Uh, Burke, you always appreciate our time and look forward to these chats here on the show. Thanks for having me on, Josh. Yeah, great to have you on. And uh, there's a lot of hockey to get to. We'll talk about that, of course, over the next half hour. And a big part of the Penguins hockey scope right now has been the return of Chris Letang, which even saying it out loud is a little crazy to process considering we're just over two weeks removed uh, from Latang suffering the stroke. He comes back this past Saturday night against Buffalo. Um, take me through your thought process with that whole situation, to the stroke news coming out to all of a sudden, wow, here he is, not even two weeks later, on the ice and performing for the Penguins. Well, I think the first thing was, uh, you know, that's, that's a word that alarms people. You say someone – uh, you know, had the flu, and you're like, well, okay. And then someone said I had a stroke, and you think the worst. And, right. and obviously uh, we're fortunate and blessed that Chris had a, a minor episode, um, virtually no uh, side effects whatsoever. And what the ones that he had were minor and resolved themselves quickly. So he was cleared to play actually a day or two before he was allowed to play because the coaches wanted him to get some more practice time in. So uh, very fortuitous for us with the injury to Jeff Petrie to get Latang back. It's nice to get one of those two guys back at the same time. And, uh, you know, we just we're I'm everyone who's worked with the Penguins and worked with Chris Latang understands how important he is to our team, how hard he works, uh, what a physical specimen he is. So it was great news to hear that he was allowed back on that quickly. I think it's impressive too, because just, you mentioned it, the word stroke, the, the, um, perceived fallout from having a stroke that can happen to a lot of people for Chris to be right back on the ice I know Mike Sullivan was saying a little tongue-in-cheek when the announcement was made that he was out here skating without equipment on in Cranberry and then obviously a couple days later with the equipment on ramping himself back up to get ready to game action it takes a special kind of mindset for that too I would imagine because me personally if I had a stroke I'd be a little nervous to go running a week later let alone getting on the ice 10 days later and playing in a hockey game yeah, now we've got real tight controls on a player of course, without right. the skate, of course. So the guy that never gets mentioned is Ty Hennis, who does these skates. He's our skating. He's an assistant coach now, but also our skills instructor. Ty supervises the workout. So it's not just the player going out and skating in circles. It's acceleration, velocity, uh, short bursts, quick long sprints, short bursts. And Ty does a really good job of managing and making the skate interesting. Just skating in circles is dull. Yeah. Trust me, I've had to do it. <laughs> it's dull. So, um, And then our, our strength and conditioning people and our, our physical fitness people, our medical staff, are all on the bench too watching, monitoring, making sure everything's fine. So he's not out there by himself. He's got a battery of people supporting him. But, yeah, to watch him work and – I don't think people understand what a physical specimen Chris Letang is. I didn't before I got here. I knew he was big. I knew he played a lot of minutes, but I didn't realize how, what a great skater he is. Um, his capacity for work is recovery time. He can skate a 90-second shift and be ready to go in 45 seconds. So his recovery time is really low. Um, he's just a marvel. He's an impressive to watch, really an incredible, as you mentioned, physical specimen that we get to see here in Pittsburgh. And since coming back into the lineup, Penguins have won both games. That game Saturday night I mentioned against Buffalo was a victory. And then a thriller on Monday night in the win against the Dallas Stars. Uh, that game 
I know it's a cliche phrase, Berkey, but a lot of people said it had a playoff feel to it. It's low scoring. It's tight checking. There was space was not hard or not easy to come by uh, at ice level to win a game like that against a team like that. What'd you learn about your, about your team on Monday night? Well, I really like I really like that team. I really like Dallas. I think they're a really opportunistic team. They can score goals. They've got firepower, but they play a tight checking system. They're well coached. They're a lot like our team. But uh, I thought we contained their, you know, they've got some great goal scorers. I thought we contained them well. I thought our goaltending was solid and timely. And then to, like you say, to pull it off with less than a minute to go. I mean, I'm looking at the, at the clock thinking, well, overtime, who's going yeah. to be the hero? <laughs> and then we put it away with 30 seconds to go with some minor heartache from the last 30 seconds, too, with a couple of icings. But uh <laughs> That's uh, we were able to do it, and that's a good team we beat. So I was I was very pleased with that. That was a big win for the Penguins. Uh, as we mentioned, their sixth win in a row. That's a season high as far as consecutive victories. It also was an important night in the building, Berkey, not just for the team, for the organization, but for you personally, as it was the Pride game uh, against the Dallas Stars. You can play honored the Penguins as the organization of the year prior to the game. Um, I'm just curious for your perspective. How important is it? You know, we have military night we have a variety of different organizational nights and causes throughout the course of the season for the pride night for the lgbtq plus community and and you can play to be recognized and given a a space at the table so to speak that night how important is that to not just do once a year but carry forward you know throughout hockey in general well it's really important to uh to all of us in pittsburgh you know like this was the mandate from david morehouse before i got here that everyone's going to be welcome here. Pride Night is not new. It's not my idea. Right. It's not something I got behind. It's a Penguins initiative, and it's a driving factor behind what we do, what's important to us, our core values. Inclusivity is one of our core values. The military is one of our core values. So these nights we have, we take them very seriously. We think they're really important. And to me personally, having had a son who passed away who was gay, uh, to be a, able to support and vocally support the LGBTQ plus community is fantastic for me personally. But this is everyone saying to me, "Oh, you had a lot to do with this." I didn't really. This is a this is a Penguins initiative. This is important to us. And it was an important night for the Penguins on and off the ice. A two-one victory over the Dallas Stars. They're now ten-one and one in their last twelve games. So lots of re- good results on the ice. But we will discuss a big loss to the Blue Line. Berkey mentioned Jeff Petrie going down. We'll talk about that next with Brian Burke here on the GM Show, presented by S&T Bank. This is the GM Show, and Berkey, as we mentioned, a pretty significant loss to your blue line was announced on Tuesday when it was said by General Manager Ron Hextall, Jeff Petrie, going to the long-term injured reserve, I believe retroactive to December 11th uh, when he suffered an upper body injury. You never want to see a guy go down, any guy in your lineup, but it seems like, especially with Chris Letang out those previous five games, that Petrie's game really elevated. You started to see the player that I think we all hoped to see when he was acquired from Montreal um, this offseason. So with that in mind, the timing seems to be especially worse uh, for Petrie to miss some extended time here. Yeah, and I mean, first off, to go back to, we're on a, a razor's edge with the salary cap. That's a function of what Ron Hextall has been able to do to keep the band together. The whole thought process here is keep the band together, see if we can win again, add what we can afford, and shop at Kmart. Don't pay a cent more than you have to pay. What he's done has been remarkable to see this, to bring in a, a Jeff Petrie who's been terrific, like you said. I think it's been good from the outset, but the last few games 
where his role has increased with Tanger being hurt, he's really stepped up his game. So now he gets banged up. He goes to the back of the line. We get Tanger back, so that's one blessing. But you're, you're obviously right shot defensemen are at a premium in our league, and these are two of the best right shot defensemen around. And it's nice to have both of them here. But it's nice that when one was hurt, the other was available, mm-hmm. and now the other's hurt, and that one's available. Tanger's available. And I assume that the confidence level in your defensive group is high. And you mentioned a right shot defenseman. Chad Ruedel jumps right back in on uh, Monday night against Dallas and is serviceable in that role. Um, the group seems to just be comfortable with the adversity back there. I hate to say it like that, but it's true because they've dealt with their fair share. But from those six defensemen, you even stretch it out further down the depth chart, it really, you know, I know it's not this simple, but it looks like on the surface there is an element of plug and play with that Penguins defensive group. No, I don't think it's illusory at all. I think it's a real mentality that the coach has instilled here with, with Mike Sullivan. I really believe since I've been here we've had – unimaginable injuries since the whole time I was here the first year and the second year you know Malkin misses half a year each year and then this guy Sig gets hurt and this guy gets hurt and all key guys and we keep playing and I think it's because Mike Sullivan has instilled the approach that I'm not I don't want to hear any excuses about who's hurt this is the lineup next man up let's get it done and I think it's a remarkable thing Earliest that Jeff Petrie can return off long-term injury reserve is January 8th against the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, in the meantime, two recalls from Wilkes-Barre Scranton to fill the void. Mention a right-hand shot defenseman. Well, one of them's come up in the form of Mark Friedman, another forward in Drew O'Connor. Uh, I know we always talk about the pecking order and the depth chart as far as those decisions being made with guys being recalled. So in the sense of Friedman and O'Connor, why were those the two chosen? Well, I think with, with Drew, um, the notion that he can kill penalties, and he's not he's not a great penalty killer, but he's getting better at it. He can kill penalties if he has to, but mainly because he's the center. Yeah, It gives us some face-off help. Uh, Drew can play wing. He's big enough, and he skates well enough to play the wall, but he, he can play center. That's number one. For Freeds, it's uh, right shot D, as you mentioned. He's been really good. You know, Ty Smith has had a little bit slower start than – than Freed's has. Mark Friedman's been terrific for us right from the get-go. And he's playing a big role in Wilkes. He's killing penalties. He's on, I think, the second power play unit. He's playing big minutes and playing against top players, and he's been really good. So he deserves this chance to come up. I don't know how much he's going to play at the outset, but we'll find out. Yeah, they'll be in the mix for sure. Uh, from O'Connor's perspective, he's an interesting guy because I think a lot of people were looking at him in training camp to maybe be one of the forwards out of camp onto the Penguins roster, and he's gotten a brief crack to play on the Penguins roster this season. Uh, having a good year points-wise for Wilkes-Barre Scranton, 22 points in 20 games, but it's looking like this should be a year where maybe that next step should be taken for Drew, and I'm curious, do you feel that way? Does the, the management feel that way? And uh, what do you look for him now, like, from this point forward this season to see that step hopefully start to be taken? Well, I think – I don't think we talk about the coaches in Wilkes off enough, so let me take a second sure. and mention them. So J.D. Forrest is our head coach, Boston College player. Uh, we are really impressed with his patience and his teaching skills. Uh, he's a soft-spoken guy, but he's not afraid to bark when he needs to bark. He knows how to swear, which is an essential element of coaching. Um, <laughs> we have a first-time assistant coach with Sheldon Brookbank, who was a hard-nosed player himself, but a real good thinker of the game. And then um, Kevin Porter. Kevin Porter. Well, I was, yeah. was going to say Ports. <laughs> Kevin <laughs> Porter was a highly skilled player, defenseman with a great skill set, played at Michigan, I believe. Yep. And, again, a patient, good teacher. So – I think we've got a really good staff. 
Uh, Drew O'Connor, I think, has been the beneficiary of that, that they've been patient with him. He's a great skater. Like, for a guy Drew's size, he's a really good skater, really has great speed and power, and that he's been producing. Like you said, he's over a point a game, which I think people would have shook their heads if you'd said that a couple of years ago, that Drew O'Connor would be a point a game in the American League. He's over that. So, yeah, it might be time for him to take that next step. We'll see. We will keep an eye on that in the games moving forward. Uh, as far as the, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton theme continues here in our conversation, it was announced last week Sam Poulin was taking a, a leave of absence for the team due to personal reasons. Now, we have seen him up here in Pittsburgh this year, made his NHL debut a couple months back uh, in Calgary against the Flames. From all accounts, it seemed like this was a guy that had started to take some serious steps forward up the depth chart. I know Mike Sullivan saying that he couldn't think of a guy – in training camp that did more to help his cause on the depth chart than Sam Poulin. So obviously you wish him well in his uh, work away from the ice, but you know, where do things stand with that right now? Well, it, it's, he's taking personal leave and we're going to treat it as personal leave, but I know you have to ask Josh, so I'm not offended, but we're going to leave it that way. It's okay. personal. Um, it's something that we're working through with the appropriate people and with his folks, his parents, his dad played for me in Hartford many years ago. Right. Uh, but he's a great kid, had a great start to the year. He's had a setback here, and we're going to work with him and get through it. That's, uh, we're saying prayers for Sam, and we're helping him all we can. We love the kid. Well, we wish him all the best. He is a great kid, seriously. Just a, an awesome guy and, and certainly someone with a hopeful, bright future on and off the ice here as a member of the Penguins organization. Well, we mentioned the Penguins bringing in some reinforcements for their road trip. That begins Thursday night in Florida. We'll talk about that and much more as we continue our chat with Penguins president of hockey operations, Brian Burke, here on the GM Show presented by S&T Bank. We welcome you back to the GM show here presented by S&T Bank. Berkey, I'm going to run down some numbers for you, and they're all written in front of me. I'm not that smart to retain them all in my head, but they, they prove a point here. Penguins are 13-2-2 since November 7th. That's tied with Toronto for the most points in the NHL in that stretch with 28. They're allowing 2.35 goals against the game in that stretch. That's the third fewest number in the league. Their penalty kill is 90% in that stretch. That's the best in the league. Those are just numbers, but they kind of lend itself to a bigger picture of a team that has turned things around in a big way after that seven-game losing streak. So with the numbers in mind, what are the eyes seeing from your perspective over this stretch for the Penguins? Well, as a lawyer, if you have numbers like that, you can usually make a pretty good case. <laughs> and the fact is it should add up to some wins, and it is. It has. It should add up to some victories. Uh, the penalty kill has been excellent. Power play has been really good at times and struggled at times, but that's very common in our league. Um, the one characteristic that's emerged in the NHL in the last year and a half for me is the streakiness of good teams. You have to be a good team to be streaky to win five or six in a row, but good teams also, as we have this year, have also struggled through some streaks of poor luck yeah. or poor performance. And that's the one thing I think that sets the league apart right now. But right now we're on a good roll. Uh, all those numbers lend itself to the fact that our record during that time period has been excellent. A lot of people deserve credit, a lot of different players. But I do like the balance aspect where Brock McGinn will chip in or you know, a, a player will chip in every night that's maybe not one of the guys that we need to chip in. Right. The guys like that I think are really important to having balance. Yeah, it has been a group effort for sure here. In these last couple of games you played Buffalo back-to-back -back and then Dallas on Monday, two of the top three scoring teams in the league as far as goals for per game. And you held those – 
two game, uh, those two teams in those three games to five goals total. Is that kind of the exclamation point on the overall defensive effort right now? Yeah, and then Buffalo blew up again last yeah, night. With they six they goals, six goals against L.A. or something, yeah. right? So it's not like we didn't just – it's not a fluke to contain the Buffalo Sabres. It's right. easy to let those games get away from you, mm-hmm. and now uh, we were able to do that. So, no, I think that shows – you got to match your intensity against your opponent. That's what I think our team has done well. Say, okay, this is how we have to play tonight, and we're willing to do that. We're willing to pay that price. You listen to the coaches run the meetings, and the preparation that the coaching staff does is really good, so I'm not surprised. Team defense obviously seems to be a pretty key cog to winning streaks, as you mentioned in this league, but goaltending's important too. And I know that's the last line of defense, and a group in front of them can control a lot about as far as the shots that goaltenders see and the quality of those shots throughout a game. But, man, Tristan Jari's been pretty good lately. 9-0-2 in his last 11. Casey DeSmith was awesome against Buffalo on Saturday night. Those two guys seem to, uh, and especially Jari, really have stabilized and taken things up a notch here. Well, what I liked about both those games, uh, you're right, Jars is on a real tear. Like uh, the national media are paying attention to Jars right now. But Casey, when he gets those opportunities – he had to save that game for us the, the last time we played. Yep. If he hadn't played that well early in the game, we don't win that game. Agreed. So Casey is – and I thought Jarris a couple of nights where he has to come up really big early to keep us in games. Now, that's not a, a formula we like, or that's not a prescription for success long term. But every once in a while, when your goalie can stand on his head for a period and keep you in a game, and then all of a sudden the big boys take over, that's a, that's a really good characteristic of a winning team, that we're going to have an off period – our goalie can carry us for that period, and then we'll get back on track. He got the victory in his last start Friday night, or beg your pardon, Monday night against the Dallas Stars. Casey DeSmith, as you mentioned, electric against the Buffalo Sabres, and that win Saturday. The Monday game was the 700th of the career for Mike Sullivan. I was wondering after the game, I was saying to you off the air, Tristan Jari was hunting down the puck after the game, and I'm trying to think, what was that for? Well, Sully hits a pretty significant milestone in that game with game 700. He's won 384 of them, which by my terrible math is still more than half the games he's coached have ended up in the victory column. Um, his message to the team, and I know you mentioned it earlier, that kind of next man up mentality, it's amazing how it's resonated so strongly here in year number eight now in Pittsburgh and seems to be gaining uh, strength with each passing game and month. Yeah, I think, I think well, a couple of things that, are, that struck me is you watch the, the pregame show between uh, uh, Vegas or uh, Dallas and us, Peter DeBoer has 1,000 games coached, and you're looking at it, and it says Sully's at 700, and you're like, wait a second. How can – like, Peter DeBoer is a good coach. He played for me back in the day. I really love the guy. He's great. But how can Sully be 300 games behind? <laughs> and the answer is, of course, he was a head coach that failed early and then had to be an assistant coach and learn his craft, bide his time, and work his way back through Wilkes, through right. the American League, and then he's just been a star since then. I think he's a great coach. It's a mystery to me that he hasn't been coach of the year yet. Maybe that will be rectified this year. But he's just done a terrific job here. It's nice to work with him. On an off-topic but still Sully-centric question, what are your thoughts on the stash? Well, I hate it. I think he looks (laughs) – I think it's brutal. But I I also believe – I told Sully this. You you make a bet like that with your team. Hey, if we win three of the next – take two or three on this road trip, I'll grow a mustache – you got to come through on that. Yep. So you got to follow through on that. So I don't think it looks very good, and I think Sully can't wait to shave it. But I like the concept. That it was kind of a unifying thing. Yeah. And that the coaches keep their word. 
I am looking very forward to the scene of the bench at Fenway Park with the whole coaching staff with those mustaches. They'll be in full bloom for that one uh, uh, at that historic ballpark in the beginning of the new year. lot to come between now and then, though, for the Pittsburgh Penguins, including a two-game road trip, which begins Thursday in Florida against the Panthers. We will discuss that matchup next as we wind things down here on the GM Show presented by S&T Bank. Winding things down here on the GM Show, it is presented by s and Bank alongside Penguins President of Hockey Operations, Brian Burke. I'm Josh Getzoff. And Burke, uh, just taking a, a bigger scope look at the schedule, seven games between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the new year of 2023. Uh, of those seven, all against the East, five against the Metro. Um, I'm not sure how you personally look at the schedule and kind of break things down or if you even do that, but from this chunk, it looks like a pretty important stretch with how well the Penguins have been playing to go into the, the new calendar year. Well, I think the days are gone when you could look at a stretch of the schedule and say there's a couple of soft games. There's just no such thing as an easy out anymore. I don't care. Like, the teams are too close. There's too much parity. Um, and I've always evaluated how we play more than what our results are. Like I, I've had teams that you know, lose three out of four, but I'm happy with the way we played and we, and we know we'll get back in. But I think they are important games. I think they're important games in the schedule. And we would be in a great position in the standings if we hadn't had that skid where we lost six or seven in a row and, and put ourselves in a deep hole. Now, we fought our way back, but we're still only in the middle of the pack by right. winning whatever we have, the, the streak we're on. So to me, these are important games. I think it's really uh, – uh, we've we've had a good home schedule. We've taken advantage of it. You're supposed to make hay when the sun is shining. We've done that. But now we got a two really tough road trip game uh, trip and uh, against two teams that are really tough to play against in their buildings, and we've got our work cut out for us. Yeah, we'll get to that game against the Panthers in a second, but you mentioned the stretch your team is on right now. Six wins in a row. you got points in 15 of your last 17. When you look around the league, there's only a couple teams that can kind of say, well, we've done something similar to that. And one of them is the team you're going to meet at Fenway Park uh, to kick off 2023, the Boston Bruins. I know that you have fond memories of Fenway being there to announce the uh, the U.S. men's Olympic team the last time the Winter Classic was there in 2010. But um, looking at that game, have you had a chance? Have you given yourself pause to think about what it will be like on uh, January 2nd? Well, I was at the game in 2010, even though my team wasn't involved. It right. was Philly and Boston, and it was the uh, first game where they'd had a fight in the <laughs> outdoor game. Sean Thornton got in a fight, I remember. And, they must have uh, known you were there. Yeah, well, I was pretty excited. Anyway, it was uh, I got to walk all around the field. I, and I was a Red Sox fan for a number of years when I when I worked for lived in Boston, practiced law in Boston. So I went out in the outfield and stood where Carl Yastrzemski and Ted Williams used to stand, and That's then cool. I'd stand where Freddie Lynn used to stand, and then Dwight Evans where he used to stand, and and it was really cool. The history of it was cool, and I was supposed to be involved at the game in the Big House in Toronto, but I got fired that that <laughs> winter. After Christmas, I got fired. I was supposed to be in that game. I remember Gary Bettman called me, and they were worried about the unemployment rate being low in Detroit. And he said to me, can you guys, and I might get the numbers wrong, but I won't get the math wrong. He said, uh, we're worried about you know the Detroit economy. Can you sell 104,000 tickets, right? He said, can you sell 40,000 tickets to Toronto Maple Leafs fans? I said, Gary, I'll need 48 hours. <laughs> and then he called me back and said, can you sell 60,000 tickets to Maple Leaf fans? I said, well, then I'll need... 72 hours <laughs> we had ticket requests from 32 different countries for that game 
Wow. But I was not around to watch that one get played. I got fired, but I was there to watch, announce the Olympic team in 2010, and it was cool. I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. And that big house game, I think at the time, was the record for the it NHL yeah. attendance-wise. Yeah, and I don't think Fenway will come close to that just based on size of building. But atmosphere and uh, spectacle should be pretty cool with the Pens and the Bruins it, on uh, January 2nd. It will be very cool. It's awesome. Looking forward to that. But as as we said, a, a few games between now and then, seven in total, the first of those seven uh, against the Florida Panthers. They got a shutout last night against the Columbus Blue Jackets, Sergei Bobrovsky uh, against his old team, backstopping the Cats to a victory. Paul Maurice now the, the head coach in South Florida and a team that won the President's Trophy last year, finished first in the East, finally got out of the first round of the playoffs. Uh, and this year has been a bit more wobbly for them. But what do you expect uh, on Thursday night? Well, I think first off, they they have a distinctive style. They're they're a physical team, and they uh, they like to score goals, and they they ran up pretty good totals. They've got good goaltending, um, so I I think they're a problem. I think we're going to have to play a great game to beat them. Um, I, I think that their coach is excellent, and I think you know he was a great coach that needed a change of scenery and made a change of scenery. And I agree, they're a little more wobbly than they were a year ago. But I like uh, I like their team and. We're going to have to be ready to beat them. There's no question in my mind. Should be a really entertaining and uh, exciting, challenging road trip for the Penguins beginning tomorrow night in Sunrise, Florida, against the Florida Panthers. Berkey, always look forward to these chats and uh, appreciate your time. Good luck against Florida, and we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me on. All right, that is Penguins president of Hockey Operations, Brian Burke. And a reminder, Pens and Panthers, first of three this regular season comes your way tomorrow night, 6 o'clock on our pregame show, 7 o'clock puck drop. Phil Bork and I will have the call from Florida Live Arena in Sunrise for the Pens and Panthers. For our executive producer, Wayne Gretzky-Anderson and Penguins president of Hockey Operations, Brian Burke, I'm Josh Getzoff. This has been the GM Show presented by s Bank. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow in Florida.